Welcome to Table 101. Today we're talking about history, vision, mission, and values. Uh, next week, uh, the history and theology of Anglicanism. Spencer's going to lead us through that because there's a whole Anglican part of who we are that I won't touch on today as much. Then on uh, November 7th, Ben's going to talk about sacraments and worship. What, what, what does it mean to, what is our worship doing? Why do we worship the way we do? Then the 14th will be discipleship, mission, and leadership. How we organize for mission and formation and how we lead together. And that'll be all three of us. See what we did there? And, and then the 21st, the Sunday, I think that's right before Thanksgiving, we will do an all-church meeting where we'll talk about some other things. Let me open us in prayer, if I may. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the grace, the beauty of your church, the goodness of being together. Unite our hearts in our one baptism under your lordship and our one faith. And may everything we do be unto furthering and fomenting your kingdom of love, God. We ask this in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, here's what I'd love for you to be cogitating on. Um, And if you have something to write it down on, that'd be great. If you want to type it into your phone or just you want to track it in your head. But here's the questions I'd love to, I'd love to get your honest feedback on this. Um, I would, I would love to have a conversation about some of the things you notice at the table. If you were to describe the table in like two or three words, based upon your experiences and your perceptions, what will those words be? Right? And, you know, going past church, humans, right? Like specifically, like what's, what's different about or draws you here or do you notice? So what are some of the things you notice about the table? And if, if it helps you to do like three or four or two words, I want you to be thinking about that as we go. One of the things that we are keen on is, uh, and we'll talk about this more, is that we actually want to be who we say we are. This is a big deal to us. Um, and there's no, there's, no pro, there's no like shame in aspiring to be who you're not. Right? We want to do that too. But, but we actually want to have a sober-mindedness about who we actually are. And, and, and share that as we welcome people into our church. So we'll talk about vision, mission, and practices. We'll have a conversation at the end about those things and what you notice as you think about us. Uh, but first, we're going to tell a story about how we got here. Now, there's a timeline over here. I can't do justice to that timeline. But this brown butcher paper, um, we, we, some of you have seen it already. Some of you haven't. I encourage you to take a look at it. We tried to write in when people joined, kind of started joining our church. Right? Uh, find your date line and write yourself in if you're not on there already. Um, or maybe you're on the fence about sticking around, so do it in pencil or something. <laughs> Um, This church was born out of um, pain and suffering. So I moved back here in uh, October 2014, lived with my in-laws. And Ben and I had worked with this organization, and we we were training church leaders. And um, I know a lot of people who train church leaders who who aren't tethered to a local church, and I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be an expert. 
don't want to show up and put on a show and go home and be whoever I'm going to be. So Ben and I both knew that we needed a local church to be tethered to. to and, and it was one of those things where we had nowhere to go. And I moved here uh, to live with my in-laws because we were broke. And we were like, well, what if we just do this in Indianapolis? This is where I was born and raised. Ben spent a decade plus up in Fort Wayne. And so it was kind of like, what if we moved to Fishers and planted a church there? So we did. 2015, Ben moved. Uh, after his son graduated high school, he moved here to Indianapolis. Fishers lived in my basement for six weeks. It's a glorious, blissful time. It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be three days, and it was six weeks. Um, and then uh, that fall of 2015, we, uh, be, we actually went to Washington, D.C. to a church conference and met Spencer. Um, Spencer had moved also to Indianapolis, coming out of a similar kind of church hurt situation. I don't want to speak for Spencer, but he definitely does not want to talk about it. Um, I'm just kidding. He came out of a similar kind of jacked up situation in Texas and was going to plant a church. And he bought a house in Bates Hendricks and became a, a realtor. And we met in Washington, D.C. And it was mostly just because Spencer was like, hey, you guys are from Indy. I am too. And then over a period of, what was it, six months? Yeah. Did, did our own dude bro version of Christian Mingle, right? Like Spencer would invite us out to like ministry dates and we'd chat. And, and over time, Spencer was like, I don't know, tell me if this comports. I, I kind of like what you guys are doing. And why don't we just do one thing instead of us doing, me doing my thing and you doing your thing. And so Spencer and Mallory then joined up really early on in our life of our church. I mean, we were just having dinner once a week at that point. Uh, and so by, I think, the winter of 2016, sort of was determined that Spencer and Mallory would join up with us from Bates Hendricks. Um, and then our common worship life began uh, the following year during Lent, where we started gathering to meet and worship. And we met at uh, <laughs> this office space in Castleton for what felt like years, but I think it was four months. <laughs> and then uh, they closed up shops, so we moved to a, a food pantry. Some of you remember the food pantry? Concrete, just a concrete room with cinder block walls. Uh, great for kids making noises. Um, and we were there. We were there for four, five, six months. Um, and then we had a friend who was the pastor here. He had actually, the thing that Ben and I did for coaching was gravity leadership. He actually gone, went through a gravity leadership academy group, which is very similar to your DNA groups. And we asked him, we said, hey, would you consider moving your Sunday morning worship time to 930 or 1115 and then give us the other time? And he said, yes. And so we've been here since Lent 2017, um, worshiping. And Mark just actually took another call almost a year ago, uh, who is the pastor here. He's now in St. Louis. But we continue to enjoy uh, a great relationship with Spirit of Joy. Just one more thing about how we began. We actually started just discipling people and having dinners with people for almost a year before we began to gather for uh, prayer and worship, which is a little, uh, it's a little un-Anglican in some ways. Um, and so a lot of people that orbited in our church very early on orbited in not because they couldn't wait to use the prayer book, but because they were uh, drawn to the relationships and the discipleship. So I would say then, now we have 
we have a lot of people who fill both these circles, but it's like a two-circle overlap where there's a lot of people that are at the table because of um, the discipleship and formation and, and leadership and theology. And then a lot of people who are at our church because, gosh darn it, they just love Anglicanism. Right? And there's some people that fit both those things. But you'll, you'll find both those things and it's just a, I don't know if it's a quirk, it's just a part of who we are. So we started this church with the vision of, multi, of a, becoming a multiplying movement of sacramental, missional Anglican churches networked together in this location. So we, we, weren't, we weren't looking to become 600 people as fast as possible. We do things a lot different if we wanted to do that. Uh, but we were looking, uh, particularly when Spencer sort of orbited in, we were looking to create sustainable communities of worship, prayer, and mission that were networked together through common DNA and vision in, in this area and in other areas. And the mission, so the vision is then what we, what we, what we see or what we feel like God's calling us. The, the, the mission then is what we do, how we get there, right? And so then we decided on three sort of descriptive words to describe what we do. And the first is encounter. The second is embody. I guess I could write these up here. The third is extend. Encounter, embody, extend. Let me just talk, I don't know, 36 seconds about each of them. Encountering the presence of Christ. There's a, there's a, deep, there's a deep assumption we're making about what reality is like. And that, and that is that God is always present and at work. That there's a sacramental way of inhabiting the world. That is a portal into life with God. By portal I mean it gives us access to it. So we believe that Jesus is present in the bread and the wine when we celebrate Eucharist. And rather than God being sequestered or quarantined in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the place where it's collected and gathered so that we can enter the world Eucharistically. Does that make sense? Rather than it being only there, it's most fully there so that we are able to enter, enter the physical world in a sacramental way. Being with God. Seeing God in all creation. Seeing God in each other. So to say that we're encountering God, we, we do that in word and table. We do that in each other. There's a, there's a powerful... We, wanna, we want to reclaim... Like a, a theology of the church that is sacred. Christ's body is sacred. Christ takes his body way more seriously than we do. There's a sacredness to each of you in this room that doesn't exist the same way it does if you're just by yourself somewhere off in your own room. Right? Being together, there's some kind of encountering of Christ that happens here. And then finally... Um, Finally, then, uh, we encounter Christ, word and table, with each other, but also out in the world. We see this as the regular normative experience in the New Testament. Uh, and in the Old Testament, actually. Where uh, Christ is encountered out there. Out, out in the wild. So we're encountering the presence of Christ. We're embodying the presence of Christ. 
We are uh, seeking to organize our life and our bodies to comport with the reality that we're in the presence of Christ. So part of our worship and our prayer that uses our bodies, we kneel, we lift our hands, right? These are ways that we are, um, we are engaging our bodies into a participative life with God. Now I'll say we have a lot of work to do here. Our, our tradition is very Anglo, very Western, and it has a lot of the beauty of that tradition, but also a lot of the brokenness of it. Right? And if, if you want to sort of get a picture of that, um, like our, our Kenyan brothers and sisters who are Anglican, if, if we were to just observe how, how they use their bodies in worship, it would begin to fund an imagination for what is our, what is our heritage or tradition? What are we lacking? Yeah? What are we lacking? So we want to embody the presence of Christ. Um, and we do that uh, in, in meals, so table groups. We, we intentionally make table groups almost boring. <laughs> it's a violation. It's a deep transgression of unspoken rules that pastors are not to make church programs boring. We, almost, we, like, we want them to not be sensationalistic or titillating, but to just be a simple recovery of being with each other, being present, embodying Christ together, seeing Christ in each other. Because we believe that that's the most fundamental pressing need in the world is that Christians who can see Christ and reflect Christ and embody Christ with anyone. So we practice with people like you and me. We practice so that when we're, when we're uh, out in the wild, uh, we we may find ourselves seeing Christ in other people, reflecting Christ to other people. And that's the third, then, practice, which is extend. And I'll say something more about this in a little bit, but I'm keenly aware that one of the unfortunate legacies of our tradition is that we have sought to extend the kingdom of God in unkingdom ways. Right? That's just, we can speak truthfully about that. Because everybody else is. <laughs> it's, it's not a secret, okay? This is what I'm saying. And we gain nothing by trying to defend it. So <clears throat> I want to just hold before us that as um, I'm, I'm um, regularly, and Ben and Spencer and others who lead here, we're regularly questioning our instincts about how to extend the kingdom. I don't fully, I don't fully trust that my instincts on what mission looks like I don't fully trust that it's faithful. Now, I'm not, I'm not fully in the dark either. I don't want to freak you out. But I'm just, I'm just owning with you that I think I have a colonial imagination. That, has, that I've made some assumptions about, about that. And I've heard enough stories and I've seen enough impact of my own life. To bring some caution or just questions about where did I get these assumptions from? Right? So we want to extend the kingdom of God, but, but not in a way that is coercive or manipulative or exploitive. Exploitative. There we go. I knew there was a consonant I was missing. 
So we're, in, we're encountering and embodying sinning the, the radical hospitality or the presence of Christ. This is, this is what we do together. And then, finally, and then I, I wanna, uh, I'm going to get some conversation going after this. Instead of naming the values that we have that help us do the thing we want to do, we talk about um, practices. Practices. And I don't want to go on a rant. It's really hard for me not to. Um, I don't want to go on a rant, but values are fine. They're good. Um, But I would just contend... Whatever you do is what you value. Whatever you do is what you value. So then we worked from that. Because we, we don't want to aspiration say this is what we value. But then have no way to actually embody or construct or inhabit that. Right? Um, that's been a temptation for, when I say us, I mean Ben and I and Spencer in previous ministry. We have these values, but we don't know how to live them. So we, we have practices that form and train us to unto values, unto what we want to be and do together. So the four, uh, I will put these up here. The four practices are uh, welcoming. Listening. Gospeling. And going. And I'm going to put a big question mark here. Not because I, well, I, I, I am a poor speller when I'm talking, but um, I'll say more about that in a second. So these are the moves of our liturgy. It's a call to worship, a welcoming, right? We listen to the word read. We hear good news proclaimed. Yeah. Then we go. This is our worship. This is, these are the big moves in our liturgy. And a lot of liturgies too. Uh, but these are also, uh, there's, there's, there's practices tethered to this. So the first, welcoming. The practice of uh, mutual submission. Mutual submission. We're going to talk more about this in our leadership week. Um, but this has all to do with how power and authority is held here at the table. Um, we are seeking to actually do the things Jesus told us to do. Things like uh, submit to one to another out of reverence for Christ. Things like what we see happening in Acts 15, where Paul is doing whack, crazy stuff. Eating with Gentiles. Even giving, even like, even welcoming them into the people of God. And there's a sense of sifting and sorting. And, and Paul willingly comes back to what probably had a lot of hostile people. In it. A crowd that had a lot of hostile people. So we're seeking to actually um, create a community that is, takes the body of Christ seriously. That we need the gifts of the body. And that we submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. So it's one of the ways that we try to... Some implications here is that we empower a lot of people to lead. And we're learning how to do that because that wasn't necessarily something that was done for us. Yeah? 
This means that we co-pastor, which is a different arrangement. In fact, my bishop told me last year, he said, you know, when you told, <clears throat> when you told me you were, you were going to do this, I didn't think it would work. And he's right. <clears throat> Most times it doesn't work. And it doesn't work for a couple reasons. One is egos get in the way, right? Do you know who I am? And I drive a Toyota Highlander. Um, or, or there is simply like siloed areas. So Spencer, you take care of the, um, you know, music ministry. And Ben, you deal with preaching. Matt, you deal with music. And then we just, we sort of got our own dictators and our own fiefdoms. But there's actually, we're actually working on trying to lead in a way that takes welcoming each other seriously. I don't get my way sometimes. I get, I get grumpy sometimes when I don't get my way. It means I have to reckon with what I want and entrust it to somebody else. And trust that if, trust that God cares about it more than I do. If God's speaking something, really speaking something to me for our church, then I can entrust it to the church to confirm and sift. What God is saying. I don't have to hold it over you. In fact, that's not what we're told to do with things we think God is saying. So God's voice then exists in a community rather than in one person. Usually one man who's smart, attractive, but not too attractive, you know? Smart, funny, and, and we just we just trust him. And we think that this um, has done some bad work. So mutual submission is a practice that helps us learn to embody the value of welcoming. Second, listening. Um, The practice here is communal discernment. We do this in our DNA groups. Those of you who've been in DNA or through DNA have experienced that we spend time training each other on how to listen to each other. How do I welcome you and receive you and receive what you have to say and hear you? You know? Um, Stephen Covey, who I think is a Mormon, but he, he, uh, he said most of us don't listen to hear, we listen to respond. It's true. It's true. And so we're recovering the ability to hear each other, to listen, to be good listeners. That's the first debt we owe someone if we're going to love them, is to hear them. It's something that you'll know, we'll notice as you go through DNA and just spend time in our church, how good of a listener Jesus was. Good listener. So uh, communal discernment then is we listen together and we don't listen to each other, but we listen to what God is doing in our midst to the spirit. And this is a bit amorphous and ambiguous, I know. You gotta get kind of on the inside of it to sort of tether it out. So it's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Um, but communal discernment, which we do in DNA groups and in other leadership settings, is one of the ways that we practice listening. Gospeling. This is, this is the third uh, practice. This is proclaiming good news. So, um, A lot of, I guess I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to bag on other churches um, 
what I'm trying to do is differentiate maybe how this is distinct. So I, I, I don't know if this is helpful for you. If it's not, then uh, I'm sorry. But I've been in a lot of churches where the pastor was expected to give answers and advice. Like, this is what you do with your office. This is why we pay you. We pay you to tell us what to do. And then persuade us to do it. Right? Um, and, or, or just keep us happy. <laughs> and I, um, we're, we're trying, we're trying a, uh, to... To hold our authority and use our voice in different ways here. So one of the one of the practices is gospeling, announcing that Jesus is Lord. And and it's distinct in the sense that we're trying to recover announcing that the way Jesus did. So so his 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 kingship announcement sounds different to Zacchaeus than it does Bartimaeus. It sounds different to Peter than it does to Pilate. Right? So what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, we're seeking to craft and recover, reconstruct how to gospel each other. How to take the center ground of Jesus as Lord, and you can trust him in this area in your life. It's, it's more announcing rather than answering. It's more declaring rather than didactically persuading. Now, I'm didactically teaching now, and I'm, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I'm persuasive or not, but, like, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying one of our practices is gospel. We can talk, if you have questions about that, we can talk more about that. And then finally, going. Again, uh, everything I said about extending the kingdom applies here. Um, we were, we, had a, we have a, a pastor meeting on Fridays, and Ben's like, I wonder if we couldn't rebrand going as joining. Just think about those two words. One of the things that I've learned about the book of Acts in the last several years is um, is that many of us Western Christians, we've lost the identity of being Gentiles. And that we're joining someone else's thing. This isn't our thing. We're guests. And, and we join that by being joined. So Paul goes to Corinthians' house. It's the first time he's ever stepped in a Gentile's house. You know. And we like to read that story as though we're, I'm sorry, Peter. Read that story as though we're Peter. But we're, we're not. We're Cornelius in this story. And so what would mission look like? If we were going to join, what would that look like? You know, Jesus has some, I think, some interesting, provocative hints of this. For instance, in Luke 10, when he sends out the 70 or 72. And uh, he says, you know, uh, uh, stay with whoever welcomes you. Eat what's set before you. Heal the sick and the kingdom of God. And proclaim the kingdom of God has come upon you. I think for years I read that as, well, of course the kingdom of God has come upon you because you, you're healing the sick. Duh. But that's only half of it. You're also eating what's set before you. Which is a significant part of the kingdom. 
So we go to tables that we don't set. We don't always get to set the table. This is a, this is a practice, an imagination that I need to recover. Because I, uh, it just so happens, my, uh, my life story, my position in life, I'm setting most of the tables. I mean, this is an example right here. I'm setting most tables on it. So going or joining then in mission, we can, I can answer more specific questions about mission if you have them and what that looks like here. I will say that this has been a, a wrestling, a struggle at the table for many reasons. We, we can go into that. So, uh, yes, we are... Our vision is to be a sacramental missional Anglican church that's, that's networking with other Anglican churches in Indianapolis. We do this by encountering the presence of Christ, embodying the presence of Christ, and then extending the presence of Christ. And our four practices, welcoming, listening, gospel, and going, are tied to mutual submission, communal discernment, proclaiming the good news, 